Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, Episode 5 for the week of June 10th, 2010, Listener Feedback and Desktop Linux. Today we're going to talk about uh, the state of desktop Linux. Um, is it good or does it suck or does it matter? And uh, we've got with us uh, a guest who's a, a friend of mine, a... Uh, um, Desktop Linux advocate, a network administrator, a Perl programmer extraordinaire, and um, his uh, feed is pretty noisy today, so I'm going to bring him up at the very last second. But we'll have uh, Jeremy Fluman from Winners ISD, and also we're going to talk about uh, uh, some listener feedback. Our our last episode with uh, Fog generated quite a bit of uh, feedback, and so we thought we'd dedicate uh, most of this episode to you and, and your feedback. Right, I'm excited about that. We were excited uh, just to get that feedback. You always want to hear from your listeners and hear what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong, and uh, uh, it was mostly positive. So that was that was real fun. All right, and so without further ado, we'll uh, we'll pipe Jeremy in here and uh, get the conversation started. All right. And our topic for today is, is uh, we're just talking about Linux on the desktop. Is it ready? Uh, is it not? Why isn't it? Why is it? And uh, Jeremy here is a, uh, an avid Linux user, and um, and he works in a school environment. Uh, I am an avid Linux user. I work in a school environment. So uh, it seemed like a, a good uh, um, combination of people to get together and talk about uh, this subject. And, and just So, Jeremy, I'm just going to open and ask you a very open-ended question. Is is Linux ready for desktop deployment in uh, in education? Yes or no? And support your answer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was a very English teacher thing to do, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'd say I, it kind of depends on what you're trying to do exactly. Because uh, you know, there's 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 different applications that that people are finding issues with. But uh, I know. I have a an Ubuntu desktop set up in the library, and and it's I mean, it's doing fine in there. Uh, I'd say at, kinda, at what level I mean, is be, that? It's a, it's in a high school library. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I mean, to me, it, it like I say, it just depends on what you're trying to do with it. Uh, well, tell me, what's the ideal case? What what should you do with it? Uh I don't know. I mean, my plan is kind of put it out there and and see what people come back and go, "Hey, this isn't working." You know, when I try to do this, okay, well, you know, let's try to figure out what the issue is there. But this um, all started from a conversation that I was having with Sean uh, just you know over lunch one day, and and I was talking about the possibility of uh, putting some um, Linux desktops in one of our labs, and. Um, you know the question uh, came about you know as we were as we were discussing the the possibilities of it i guess the most piercing question that that was asked was why 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 put linux in a lab or in a classroom um and of course being you know this shows the taiwad tech right uh, economics is certainly a good reason uh, ubuntu doesn't cost anything linux in general doesn't cost anything but for the most part when you figure in the cost of a new computer uh, you don't really pay for the os anyway it's just kind of rolled in there nobody right. very few people budget for that or 
schools that are big Microsoft shops have their uh, sort of cumulative license thing, and and the OS is just one of the things, one of the many things that we pay for. So I don't know that you can really say cost is even an issue in the modern American educational environment because the 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 cost is invisible. So tell me right. why? Why would you put Ubuntu uh, as opposed to Windows? I know even like just today we have uh, some IRC bot. Uh, virus going around in our elementary, and uh, uh, you know, it, I mean, stuff like that. Just that, uh, you know, some people would say, you know, just for the security reasons. Um, I know for some of the management tools that I'm I'm working on trying to use, uh, it just makes it really simple to to uh, to manage the desktops. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot quicker to to at least for me to reinstall. Uh, if I have a machine that's messed up, you know, I, for me, the way we're set up, if we have to reinstall Windows, it takes us about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes to an hour to, to get that machine back up and copy all their stuff back over. You need uh, to listen to our previous episode on Fog, right? Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. those days would yeah, be well, over. Yeah. Well, and see, we had that, we had that set up in a lab. We were uh, messing around with it. Uh, we just haven't really, we haven't fully gone out with it in production, but... Uh, uh, one thing we're kind of working on is our virtual desktop infrastructure, and that that ends up we'll be running the Windows VMs, uh, and most of the desktops, most of them, I'd say, are going to be replaced with just kind of a scaled down Ubuntu installs. Right. But uh, yeah, and that. Invisible Linux, there's lots of cases for that. In the server room, mm-hmm. as a, as an underpinning for something else, uh, uh, we have a lot of thin clients here that are, that are actually tapped into a Windows terminal server, but they do so with a Linux underpinning, you know. Uh, they, right. there's, uh, there's lots of cases, and I could make, uh, lots of cases for that, but it's Linux on the desktop, and, and that's sort of the question. Is, is Linux ready? Um, and if so, which which distribution is the most ready? I know you're a fan of Ubuntu. Uh, I I use Ubuntu uh, uh, Linux Mint, which is based on Ubuntu. I think is uh, is pretty darn good. Um, what, what's the I, um, you know, Jeremy, because because you were uh, you've read about it. But I'll just I'll tell the audience. I did um, a six month experiment. Um, with my own personal laptop where I bought a brand new laptop and I put Ubuntu on it and, and I called it the Ubuntu experiment and I just wanted to see could I live in a Windowsless world? Could I live in a world without Windows? And my conclusions that I came to is no. You gotta have Windows. But you can run Windows in a virtual machine or something like that. But every now and in my experience, you're going to have to touch Windows at some point. Now, that may not be true for everybody, uh, the the people out there who aren't, uh, you know, IT professionals like I am. So let's say that you don't have to run the specific apps that require Windows. Assuming you do run in a Windowsless world and you're running uh, Ubuntu Linux, my findings was that it was just kind of a lateral move. It, there, you didn't gain anything. You didn't really lose anything. It was just a different set of problems. Windows has its problems. Linux has its problems. And you're just kind of trading one for the other. Um, what, what do you say to that? Is, is is Linux a lateral move? And if so, what's the reason to, to make such a move? Or or do you dispute that it that isn't a lateral move? Yeah, I, I'd say kind of how you mentioned about the uh, you know paying for the OS is kind of kind of invisible because it kind of comes with the machine now. So I'd say for 
I don't know, for, for the average user, it's probably a, a lateral move just because, you know, they, they just want something that works and they just want to, a lot of them just want to get on the internet, browse the web, uh, check their email. Like, uh, uh, my wife's, uh, uh, stepdad, we installed Ubuntu on his machine because it was an older machine and, uh, it was, it was running Windows 2000, so we installed Ubuntu and he's been happy with it because it does everything he needs it to do. Uh, if it would have been Windows running, he'd have been fine with that too. Yeah. Sean, you had a similar experience. Talk about about that. Your grandma installation. Right. I had a, a neighbor. She's oh in her seventies, and she brought me this uh, well ancient machine. And yeah, it had maybe Windows two thousand on it. I, I don't remember exactly, but uh, but it was the same deal. I mean, she didn't even want to get on the internet with it. All she wanted to do was be able to type up recipes and, uh, you know, uh, keep track of that stuff. And maybe I think do some, uh, like checkbook balancing or something. So I set her up with Ubuntu and, uh, you know, I made those particular uses uh, very easy and clear for her and, uh, she's really happy with it. So, uh, I'm, I'm a little curious, you know, I, we talked about this a little bit is where the OS is going to matter less and less as we go forward and more and more seems to be happening in the web browser um so I, I think it's interesting to think of that you know in, in a school environment we've seen that here with the the level of access we have that you know what they're really using it for is primarily uh, word processing and the browser uh, and i think that covers a great deal of it um but it still doesn't get us away from the fact of you know what what are you gaining? I mean, if you're going to make this big move, what are you gaining? And uh, my concern was more that uh, it's more of a, a, a PR uh, problem that, uh, like Jeremy's doing, I, I think it's a good idea to roll it out slowly and uh, give it a good test, let people look at it. Uh, Linux Mint is beautiful, and I think that goes a long way with users is the, is the pretty. Uh, and... and just the user seeing that they're going to be wowed by it but the first problem they run into it's this thing's a piece of junk and uh even though it's the same type of problem that they're going to experience in windows or uh any os so i i think that's more the issue is how are you going to roll it out and how are you going to handle the uh the pr you think you'd have the same issues if you move to max from a windows platform well, that's a that's a funny uh, question because, again, it's just a perception thing. There's that public perception, especially in education, um, that Mac's just better. End of story. And when they, you know, you can see a Mac user run into similar hiccup problems. Uh, I saw one at TCA last year, which is our statewide uh, convention, and the presenters were there, and they were all enthusiastic and everything, and they had their their Mac. Uh, their MacBooks hooked up and ready to do their presentation, and they ran into several hiccups along the way in trying to get that presentation to come across right, and resolution wasn't right, and then they were fumbling with ha- having to adjust it. And uh, but it was okay because that was a Mac, you know. And uh, so I thought it was funny, and that it again just gets down to perceptions. Uh, you know, I think Linux Mint, Ubuntu really are at this point probably lateral moves, but uh, the public perception is, is a little bit different, and that's what we have to overcome. It's interesting. Um, 
you know, <laughs> somehow we always manage to turn into Mac bashers. And then, well, just deal with it, Mac lovers. Um, uh, <laughs> when you get a, a Mac user, or excuse me, a Windows user who transitions over to Mac, they'll say things like, I love my new Mac. I just haven't, you know, haven't figured it out yet. I, I need to learn to do this. I need to, 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 to make the adjustment. And then you talk to one a year later and they'll say, you know, that first month was pretty rough. It was a difficult adjustment. But once I changed the way I did things, everything worked. And as a Windows user, that just blows my mind. Why would I change the way I do things to work, you know, to make an OS like me? You know, I should go the other way. But yeah, I, that, my hunch is, I'm, I'm making this up, I have no empirical data, but I think if you took that exact same person and gave them, say, Ubuntu, the first time they couldn't do something they didn't, they wanted to do, they'd chuck it and say, oh, this sucks. But for right. some reason with a Mac, it's, well, I need to change the way I do things. Well, and even in that case, and one of the reasons that we we tend to, you know, not be crazy about Mac is uh, some of those things, it's just, you know, well, Steve Jobs just doesn't think you should be able to do it. Like so Flash. Right, so you just can't do it. And, well, that's okay. But if you couldn't watch a Flash movie in Ubuntu, well, this thing just sucks, and I'm not going to use it and get this computer away from me. And uh, So it, it's just, uh, again, it's a public perception thing, and, uh, uh, you know... That that's what we have to battle against, Jeremy. I'm kind of curious. You know, you you said you've got it set up in in a library, and so it sounds like it's more of a test case. And uh, I'm I'm really curious to hear from you as far as you know what the perception has been, and uh, you know what kind of hurdles have you faced in in doing that. Well, so far the biggest hurdle with uh, you know trying to run a Linux desktop, at least in our setup, is uh, our we use Plato. Uh, for credit recovery stuff, I guess, and um, it it requires a uh, authorware plugin for for some of their science lessons, which it's the plugins it's not supported anymore, as far as I understand it, and uh, there's not a version for Linux, but uh, they're redoing their coursework, so that the need for that plugin is going away. But anyway, that's what's kind of limited on that. And uh, when I set it up in the library. Uh, one of the ladies I had talked to that was in there had, had some students in there. And they go, "Oh yeah, this is really nice. It's it's really neat. You know, it, uh, you know, I can't wait to kind of get in and play around with it." And uh, I think the only thing that kind of that they couldn't do on there mostly was the Plato stuff. And, and Jeremy, uh, you're relatively new to the public education uh, environment, right? Yep. This your first year or second? This is my second year in a K twelve. Yeah, because prior to that, I've been in higher ed. Do you notice a difference in uh, reactions and adoption uh, techniques in those two environments? Hmm. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it's because I know in higher ed, you know, the the labs are open twenty four seven, and in a school, it's they're limited. You know, they if they can't get it done in their in their uh, in that one class. In that class period, then you know it's well. We got to do it tomorrow, and you know that those students, a lot of them aren't going to be able to get on the computers until you know until they get on during that class period again. Um, so you'd say there's a lower tolerance for failure. It it seems like it's you know just from what I've come across, it kind of seems like it, uh, and I think some of that too depends on the teacher, but. Well, that that brings up an interesting point. There is. Uh, I'm curious what your experience has been between uh, teachers 
willingness to adopt something like that and the students uh, you know are the students are you seeing that they're a little bit more uh, receptive uh, or is it the other way around um well i don't know some of it you know it still depends on the teacher some of our teachers you know they're, they'll try anything and they'll get in there and play around and and some of them are the ones that you know if it doesn't work well you know that's the end of that they say hey it doesn't work we need to go back to what we had um and so it's, you know, I want to be able to get those teachers that are willing to kind of play around and kind of get them involved with it. And uh, uh, So, again, you know, though, I mean, to to be sort of devil's advocate there, we've got to come to the the question, why? why? What's the point? Why make anybody make any adjustment at all? Right, well, I, I know for me, um, you know, with... I know some Linux people will say, you know, well, we you know, we got to break the monopoly, right? Um but I know, you know, if you just have the two choices, uh, you know, say like Mac, Mac kind of says this is what you get, and you know they kind of they kind of force the way you do some of your stuff. Uh, and Windows, it's kind of, you know, if something's broke, you know, you wait for for uh, for Microsoft to come out with an update or whatever. Or, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know. For for me, it's I'd like to see people be able to to have the choice and and be able to use uh, whatever they want to end up using. Um, but I don't know. Part of that kind of goes to the you know kind of break up the monopoly a little bit. I would say that uh, you know when when I examine my own motives to why I want to put uh, Linux in a lab or on a desktop. Um, you know, the financial uh, motives are there. It, it comes into play mostly around, like, this window we're in right now or that most schools are going to be getting into of, of uh, upgrades. XP is going away. It's dying. Um, I have uh, a fleet of computers here at my school running XP. I cannot afford to upgrade them all. So... I can buy new machines and downgrade them to, to XP for a while, you know, but that's not going to be, that's not even going to be an option for a while because Microsoft is putting a stop to that. So I have the choice of buying new machines and having Windows 7 on those and having Windows XP on my old ones and, and having to support two environments and having the users move back and forth between the two. And then you invariably run into the, the political, you know, how come they have the new stuff and we have the old stuff? He likes high school better than he likes middle school. Um, uh, in, uh, idea. Whereas if you can sort of make a clean wipe and say XP is gone, the new thing that has come in is not Windows 7, but Ubuntu or Linux Mint, or Fedora, or PC Linux OS, or whatever you like, um, then there's some real incentive to that because, you know, then there's you get an upgrade because I, I would say that, you know, moving from Windows XP to some of the more modern Linux uh, in, environments is, in fact, an upgrade. Uh, but agree you know, with that. It's a 2003 OS versus a 2010 OS. There's going to be, you know, uh, some uh, improvement there just sort of by default. Uh, so you can give everybody a, an upgrade for free. 
sort of, sort of. Uh, and of course, then the the detractors always say nothing's free. Where where's the support? Where's the eight hundred number? Uh, my response to that is, I'm the support. You pay my salary. You don't need uh, a Dell contract. I don't understand. Maybe schools out there do it. Maybe they have these multi thousand dollar support contracts, but I, we don't. We have me. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, I'm right. the support. Yep. So let's just throw that argument right out the window. Your support is the staff that you already hired. Um, the you know half a million a year between your ten tax at your large district. That's your support. So shut up and well, do your job. And and that's that's coming up in a future episode. I think we're going to talk about some stuff like that. Yeah. You know what what is the definition of your 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 tech department really? Right. You know? What's the purpose of a tech department? Right. So. Uh, so, so let's say that we make that change. All right. So then everybody gets sort of a, um, a moderate upgrade. Um, but then you have that issue of now I'm buying new computers. And let's say I'm buying from a Dell or a Compaq or a Lenovo. I don't have the option. Well, Dell, Dell gives me the option, but Compaq and Lenovo don't give me the option or HP. You know, I can't not get Windows. If I buy the machine, it comes with Windows. So now there's this sort of moral dilemma. I've already paid for Windows. Do I chuck it and put Linux on it when I could have Windows? And if so, what's my reasoning? You know, am I holding these new computers back uh, at the uh, benefit of the ones, the machines that can't, uh, you know, be upgraded? You get into that sort of sort of uh, sort of moral middle ground there, where I'm not sure what the right answer is. What, what do you think? Am, am, I, am I just babbling here? Help, somebody help me out. Apparently, I am babbling. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you're you're right. I mean, that's that's part of uh, that's part of the problem. It's kind of hard to argue with that. Um, I wrestle with that too. Just trying to think of you know, we want to be advocates, right? I mean, we are the tightwad tech, so uh, it, it makes sense that we'd want to get full on behind that. And I know even when you were mentioning wanting to put them, uh, you know, uh, put in a lab or or maybe even an entire campus. Uh, my concern is more of a PR problem and i just i think it's something that you have to tread very lightly with and whether you can ever really roll that out across an entire district uh you'd have to really work to get the buy-in and i mean we're a small district so i mean if anybody's going to be able to do it it would be a district like ours uh jeremy i don't know what size your district is yeah, I think we're about 650 students. Okay, so similar similar size district. And, you know, so we're lighter, more nimble. You know, if anybody's going to be able to pull off a move like that, it would be us. But, I mean, Mark, you've already tried it in the past before my time and, and ran into problems. Yeah, you know, it's that zero tolerance for fault. Um, I've, I've had a couple of labs set up, you know, uh, a couple of years ago we built a new building, put a whole lot of computers in it, and my plan was for them all to be Linux because it could save us many thousands of dollars on the initial uh, installation. And so I had this sort of seed lab set up. It's like, we're going to test this here. This is going to be our crucible. We're going to make all the mistakes we can make in this small environment so that when we uh, move out in the large environment, we're prepared. The issue is that there was no tolerance for the crucible. The first time uh, a teacher had a class of kids in there and they lost all their work because of a glitch, and they, and they have a right to be mad. That system didn't work it failed them they lost 90 minutes worth of work um instead of allowing me to correct the problem we simply erased 
the Linux installation and put Windows back on those machines. Uh, so, so can we? I guess the question is, can we continue like that? Is that is that okay? Is it okay to to have no tolerance? And and I keep going back to the Mac. I know schools that have made the switch to Macs, and and that's always. Uh, uh, a, a difficult transition. The techs don't like it, the teachers don't like it, but they all do it because somebody has this notion up high that Macs are better, but nobody ever gets the notion up high that Linux is better. Right. Well, like, too, like when you get a Windows user that's doing something, say, typing up a document, and then they get a blue screen, they're like, ah, oh, I'll reboot, and it, they've kind of accepted it with Windows that, you know, if you get a blue screen, well, that's just, that happens in Windows sometimes, so then you reboot and and try to recover, but I don't know that I've had people go, you know, say Windows blue screens, and like you say, you know, they, they're not going to say, well, let's nah, do away with that, because right. for them, that's kind of, they see that as the only option, is Windows, that's all they have. Yeah. Computing equals Windows. That's the mindset. Right. Well, yeah. and, and we're leaving one big part of that out of the, uh, out of what we're talking about, and that's Office. And that's another pocketbook breaker right there is, you know, you've got Windows, but throw Office on top of it, and that, because that's what everybody wants Windows for anyways, right? right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and, and that's, that's a tough one. I mean, if we didn't have to put Office on all of our computers, how many more teachers could we have? <laughs> at least one, at least one teacher's salary. <laughs> right, in a small school district. Right. So, you know, that scales up. So, uh, you know, that's one. I I don't know if, if that's something you can really accurately get across to teachers to help get their buy-in. But, uh, you know, it, unfortunately, this it, education doesn't work like the corporate world. You know, the corporate world can do something like that, save that X amount of dollars, and they're going to, Turn it right back around, and it's going to end up. You know that that can put a percentage of that to bonusing for the employees and things like that. So you can essentially buy people's buy-in. Uh, education doesn't work that way, so it's, it's a little tougher to uh, to sell something that's kind of a soft idea like that. But if teachers could see it that way, and you could accurately get it across to them, uh, I think they'd be a lot more willing to uh, to try to work on uh, accepting that. I don't know one thing how we're kind of or how I'm looking at kind of addressing the the adoption side of it, uh, trying to roll out Ubuntu desktops uh, and still having kind of a backup plan for those that that you know when it breaks they say let's go back to Windows. Um, like I said, we're doing our virtual desktop stuff, so uh, we're able. I'm able to roll out Ubuntu desktops or whatever Linux desktops, um, and then as if we come across things that don't work, where we have those the virtual machine set up that they can just connect to a Windows session off of that. Um, but then also the the product we're going with can do Windows and Linux images. And so then the user, uh, as we kind of perfect our Linux desktops, we can roll that out as the VM images and, and clients can connect to that and run the Linux desktop uh, however they want. But But they always have that Windows fallback if they need it. So it sounds like you're you're trying as much as you can just to build in flexibility into that system then. Right, yeah. And I don't know if uh, having the Windows fallback kind of uh, hinders my uh, adoption for Linux desktops since since as soon as it fails, they go, oh, let's just start a Windows session. Um, instead of 
you know, instead of trying to really figure out what happened and, and trying to address that. A, f- a fellow by the name of Brian Lunduke, uh, a couple years ago at a at a Linux fest, uh, did a session called uh, "Why Linux Sucks: Why Desktop Linux Sucks and What We Can Do About It." <laughs> and uh, and this year um, he uh, uh, did a follow up to that called "Why Linux Still Sucks," and. Um, and I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm going through his slideshow here that he put together. He makes some some interesting points. Uh, and one one that we had just as we were getting ready for this show, uh, uh, Jeremy, you're using Ubuntu on your desktop, and you hadn't tried to fire up Skype before, and it took you know ten minutes or so of futzing around to figure out how the mic input works, and you know is it pulse audio or also audio, or is it uh, uh, input one? And you know those issues need to be worked out. Hardware support. Uh, is an issue, uh, you know, up until like uh, the most recent, I would say, iterations of, of Ubuntu, uh, Wi-Fi was hit or miss. It may or may not work. They fixed that. It's really good now. I would say, uh, pretty much everything just works. But audio is still uh, pretty hinky, and and you know, and and. The last time I did a uh, a presentation at a conference with my Ubuntu laptop, I could either have uh, the display on my screen or on the projector. I couldn't have both, um, but you know, it's just not there yet. And and again, that's one of those things that you just wouldn't uh, accept uh, from uh, from Windows. Uh, or a Mac. Well, I don't know. You, you said the the lady showing it uh, with their Macs, they sort of accepted that. But it's right. Um, I mean, it's it's true that in, in a lot of ways, Linux sucks. Um, it's great on the, on the server platform. Um, the mobile Linux, you know, Android is really taking off, and uh, uh, Palm's uh, new or now HP's Web OS is is kind of Linux based. But uh, you know, some of the issues that that I think cause the problem are are uh, ridiculously fast release cycles every 18 months. Uh, Debian does 18 months, Linux to, uh, Ubuntu does 18 months, and they're always jumping to put the next greatest thing in. So, hey, uh, you know, KDE 5 is out. Let's throw that on there. Well, is it ready? I don't know. Let's throw it on there, though. It's ready. <laughs> and they keep they keep uh, advancing things to the next version just because. And and like we mentioned, audio, you've got also and Pulse and GStreamer and Open Sound, and you've got all these different sound systems. Pick one for crying out loud, and work on it instead of having 16 different um, projects that all do the same thing and you're dividing your efforts. Uh, uh, and again, these are not my my uh, points. These are Brian Lunduke's that you can find at lunduke.com, L-U-N-D-U-K-E. Um, you know, he says pick an audio platform, pick a video platform, pick a windowing platform, and, and just go. No more duplicating effort. No more uh, guys having to program for one and then the other. Um, you know, the, the Linux community says that openness is their strength. Maybe it's their weakness, too. Maybe the fact that they can't come together. Um, you have any comment on that? I'm just kind of reading through his slides, so feel free to jump in at any point. Yeah, well, I know, like for me, uh, also being a Perl developer, that uh, one of the that's one of the gripes with some of the Perl stuff is that there's just too many options. Um, and like when you take uh, Ruby on Rails, I think it was more limited on on like you're going to use this module and this module and this module, whereas you know Perl's implementation of a model view controller. Uh, development is uh, well. Hey, you can use any of these models. Hey, you can use any of these controllers. And uh, some people didn't like that. Um, 
But then, so somebody came out with the framework that says, well, you know, this is more of the restricted where you're going to use this module for this and this module for this. And uh, they kind of adopted that. So I can see where something like, say, uh, Linux Mint could say, these are the things we're using, and, and that's, what we're, that's what we're going with. Uh, versus where some of the other ones, you know, give you those options, uh, I don't know, to where you can choose whichever one you want to use. You know, and, and so what I'm saying here is there's options, pick one and stick with it. But when uh, Steve Jobs comes out and says, now all development on the iPad or iPhone must be done on Macs, you can't use third party anymore, we get mad at him. So we're talking out of both sides of our mouths here. We're saying, you know, on the one side, pick one and stick with it. But when Steve Jobs picks one, we grumble about it. But you know what's going to happen? All those iPhone developers and iPad developers, uh, they're going to pick one. They're going to do the one that they were picked with. And apps are going to get cranked out. You know, there's two hundred thousand of them now and the iphone's been around what uh two years and so you know that's a hundred thousand apps a year ten thousand apps a month are being cranked out because steve jobs picked one you know so there's there is power in that sort of unity right and the the average user out there doesn't want to have to decide to that level they don't want to even have to think about it they don't have the knowledge to back it up so you know again that's where you know i well i i can't say that i got myself in trouble by saying anything because nobody really said anything to me but you know where i said the the mac user uh, at least in my eyes so this is my opinion and not necessarily the opinion of taiwan tech <laughs> but the mac yeah. user uh you know in general you know especially the ones that really go nuts over mac is uh that you know they tend to be uh you know just uh oh what am i trying to say not as uh not, not as savvy here, man. yeah yeah don't don't put any words in my mouth not as savvy a user they they don't want to have to think on that level when they're working with a computer paul therott called them tools he well said, he said mac uh, users are tools uh, mac tools well i just think that they're they're a different you know they're just a different subset of our society that looks at the computer as a uh, in the same light as a toaster it's an appliance right, right. And, uh, and and so they just want it to do what they want it to do and they don't want to have to think about all those other things and that's what mac excels uh, excels at that's what uh, and that's why you know that's why because steve jobs says this is the way it's going to work this is the way we're going to do it, and if you don't like it, too bad. And so, flash back 26 years to the 1984 Mac commercial, uh, uh, Apple commercial, with uh, the guy up on the screen saying, "You will do this, you will do that," and the and the the girl in the white tank top comes in and throws a hammer through him, and, and Apple sort of breaks onto the scene saying, "We're not going to tell you what to do. The freedom has arrived." You know, you could totally reverse that 26 years later and have an Apple keynote there with Steve Jobs saying you will do this and you will do that. Uh, it's interesting how um, you have to become what you hate to succeed. Well, and I think it's it's an interesting parallel, and of course I'm not as knowledgeable about the history on this, but it, it's not lost on me either, is that uh, didn't Windows get themselves in trouble for essentially trying to do the same thing? I mean, really railing, uh, you know, buying up companies and getting everything to work just the way they wanted it to work. And, you know, yes, they would have been a monopoly, 
Windows would have been a better product probably too. Uh, you know, it would have been more stable and, uh, you know, it, so it's funny. I'm watching what's going on with Apple and just wondering if that's going to, uh, kind of evolve in that same direction. I mean, are they going to get to a, a point where they're so much in control of everything that, that people are going to start to view them in that light? Uh, you know, I don't know. So, Jeremy, my assertion is that um, Mac OS X, uh, Windows 7, uh, Ubuntu uh, 10.4 have achieved parity. They are equal. Uh, some have slight edges in other areas. Some have slight edges in other areas. But in terms of the modern desktop operating system, they are equal. And that is, it is a, a lateral move from one to the other. Uh, you don't gain enough or lose enough to make it uh, uh, significantly different. Do you agree with that assessment? For the end user, yes. So... The uh, the issue then, and and, and I, I alluded to this in a, in a previous episode. The issue seems to be when you compare the modern Windows with the old Linux, or the the modern Mac with the old Windows. Uh, you talk about the blue screening. Well, there is no blue more blue screening in Vista. They just make it shut down instead. <laughs> you know, uh, there there is no more blue screen. So uh, that's not an issue, right? Um, right. You know, if, if if a happy face came up on your screen and your computer spit out a little cup of coffee so you could wait, <laughs> we'd yeah. all feel better about it. <laughs> so uh, it when when you start comparing, you know, apples to apples or apples to Windows. Um, and you're, you're actually comparing modern-day products, what you can get today, the best of breed from Apple, uh, from uh, Windows, from Microsoft, and from, um, uh, help me out, the Ubuntu people. Um, what's the foundation? Was it? A- I'm blanking on it anyway. Uh, Which, Canonical? Canonical, Canonical. that's it. All right, so Apple, Microsoft, and Canonical. You take their best of breed product, the best that they have to offer right now, there is parity there. They're not equality necessarily, but parity. So, again, my initial question is, why should I, as a Linux advocate, why should I be a Linux advocate? I I am, I want to be, but I'm having this sort of moral dilemma. Why should I be if they're all the same? I'll, well, I think one is uh, just that uh, it's competition competition in the marketplace uh, is, is part of it is that's why I believe in it is, you know, it takes it away from the two big boys and there's, there's a third player on the block and there is a third option out there. And, you know, even if it's just bandana guy, uh, <laughs> then bandana guy has another option. Uh, for us, you know, it, it has opened up options for us. We've got some older hardware that really can't run a modern OS. Uh, it, it helps us to extend the hardware set. So uh, I just like it for that reason. But I can just speak out of the other side of my mouth and say that, you know, I think you have to be really careful because it can be career suicide if you do it wrong. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's my two cents. Any thoughts out there among the tumbleweeds, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. For me, like some of the stuff uh, when you look and they say, you know, has a download for uh, for Windows or Mac, and you go, oh, well, where's the Linux download? They go, well, there's, uh, you know, we don't have enough people that that want that. And go, well, the more people you get, you know, adopting Linux 
are using it and making those requests, then you know the more I guess kind of the, the the more options you have with that. Um, but I don't know, I've run into that where you know I somebody wants to set up a like a WebEx or something, and I have to go hop to a Windows machine. Uh, but I don't know. I'd say for some of the stuff that people don't like, maybe it's just because not not enough people are are pushing for that. Um, so let's uh, let's move forward a little bit. Is the cloud making this irrelevant? Google thinks so. That's what their whole Google Chrome OS is about. It's technically Linux, but uh, they say they don't care what it is, right? They're using Linux because they don't have to license it. But Google thinks that the Chrome OS, is they're going to serve you up a browser with limited storage capacity and HTML5, and, and that's it. The, 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 the network is the computer. Uh, so is are we just navel-gazing here? Is this all going to be irrelevant in a couple of years? Yeah, well, I, you know, they're still going to have to also address like, uh, what is it like CAD design and stuff like that? I guess that the the applications that require a lot more beef on the machine, right? Um, but I'm not sure, you know, how how that can be addressed in the cloud. But uh, you know, I'm well, sure it can. I know Google has uh, whatever Sketch or whatever SketchUp. Yeah, yeah. A few years ago, I would have said you can't do video editing in the in the cloud. You can't do Photoshop in the cloud. But now there are a number of alternatives, including Photoshop, uh, that have uh, you know cloud options. They're they're not as rich or robust, but uh, maybe they will be. Yeah, and some of it may just you know it, it may come down to a bandwidth issue. Yeah. Um, so then, once that's addressed, you know. Yeah, I, I tend to think that that's where we're going. I look forward to it. I mean, we can stop talking about all of this. You know, <laughs> it, it won't matter. You know, your uh, what OS you're running won't make you cool one way or the other, right? Because I mean, you're not cool if you're on Windows, right? You're just the every the every you're person. the guy with the suit and the yeah. tie. But yeah. if you're on Linux, you're you're cool to geeks, right? And if you're on a Mac, well, you know, you're cool to the elite crowd. You know, that's you know. So uh, once again, that's Sean S H A W A at the TaiwanTech.com. So maybe someday the commercial will be, hello, I'm a Mac.net, and hello, I'm PC.net, and, and it's all going to be about the, the the network that you're on. Right. You know, I'm on AOL. I, I'm special. Uh, no, wait a minute. We did that before, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that's where we're going to end up, and uh, it's exciting. I think most users nowadays, I mean, they don't really use those powerful applications. Just like uh, Jeremy yeah. was mentioning, you know, the, the CAD software, which, you know, ironically, we have this really expensive CAD software that we had problems with and couldn't get any technical support help and everything else, and that drove our, uh, our particular teacher for that uh, to Google SketchUp, and they love it. And right. it's not nearly nice. as functional as the, as the CAD software, but it does what they need it to do. And, uh, and so now they operated, I think, three-quarters of the last school year just on that, and I, I never heard from them again. Yeah. I mean, they were perfectly happy with it. Linus Tor- Torvalds, the, the creator of Linux, is famous, uh, famously quoted as saying, uh, perfection is the enemy of good enough. And, and I think we get caught up in this drive for perfection. Uh, Microsoft Office is a perfect example of that. The thing is a behemoth that can do any I mean, PowerPoint 
can do anything. It's amazing. It's a, uh, it could, it's a freaking animation platform. You can use it right. to make movies off of. You can do, uh, video editing and audio, well, fo- photo editing at least in, in your, uh, office suite. It's huge. Um, you know, open office is good enough. Um, it's not great. It's not as good, but it's good enough. It does the job. You can put bullet points up there and you can talk over them. Um, you know, and, and I think that in many times we, the pursuit of perfection gets in the way of good enough. What you're talking about there, Google SketchUp was good enough. Right. Uh, the other, uh, software that was expensive, uh, is closer to perfection. But, you know, when you talk about the fact that most people don't use all of, all of the functionality, and I think that's what Google is going for with their Google Docs, they're giving, they're giving you the function that most people use. You can type a letter, you can change the format, you can change the colors, you can insert a picture, you can email it. That's what most people do. Right. It can't do uh, automatic table of contents creation and re-indexing and, and all that sort of stuff that the 1% of, of heavy writers use. And so if you're a novelist and that's what you do for a living, then Google Docs sucks. But yeah. if you're a guy who you know writes the occasional uh, letter here and there and does a research paper that's you know a few pages double-spaced, uh, it's good enough. Yeah, or if you're a teacher that wants your kids to come in and open a a document and you know make a journal entry every day, then it's good enough. Right. So yeah, I mean you're absolutely right, and that's that's what I see, and I think people are gonna get used to that. That's one thing I love to see as far as teachers pushing for. You know, we saw it last year. Well. Year before last at TCA, what was the the big catchphrase was Web, Web 2.0. Yeah, I mean you put 2.0 on anything, and and they were going to be there in droves That's to watch right. it. And uh, I remember know, sitting around joking that this was Sandwich 2.0. We're having lunch 2.0. Right? <laughs> How's your soda 2.0? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I love seeing that because again, uh, you know. It, the masses are kind of following along with that. And uh, so anything that you can do in your browser, even if it's not technically more powerful, people are, are much more willing to accept it. You know, and it seems like uh, that adoption rate is, is hap- happening very fast. You know, Jeremy, you mentioned bandwidth. Um, at home in my small town, my DSL bandwidth is 10 megabits. All right. Today, yeah, 10 megabits, huge, right? A few nice. years ago, universities didn't have 10 megabits. And now that's my, my, you know, my network, my neighborhood DSL. Um, Sprint promises that on their cell phones with their 4G, with the WiMAX sort of thing. Uh, you know, Google's running gigabit uh, to a few cities just to kind of see how it goes. Uh, when when that becomes standard, when that becomes, I mean, think about it. What, what is your, you got DSL at your house, Jeremy? Or some no, broadband? Uh, it's not even a, an option. <laughs> we okay. have wireless. Uh, okay. So that, what, I, do you have a broadband connection at your home? Or you uh, mine's, nah, it's like 256. Okay. Well, you know, that's that's still 10 times or yeah. uh, at least five times better than, than dial-up. And so, yep. you know, we're complaining about what was mind-boggling five years ago. So five yeah. years from now, what we consider mind-boggling, gigabit, 10 gigabit, we'll be complaining about. You know, we'll pull up speedtest.net and go, crap, I'm only getting 50 gigabits. This is ridiculous. Yeah. My ISP <laughs> sucks. Yeah, and and we'll still have the uh, 
the funny thing is, is I don't think that the OS uh, debate is ever going to fully go away, and it won't even people won't even realize that it's really not an OS thing anymore. So you, even then, when we're fully operating, just pretty much you know a hundred percent of the time out of the browser, uh, you're going to have somebody come up and sit next to you and sit up really tall as they open up their MacBook. And <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think it'll be funny, and uh, you know. I'm I'm okay with that. Whatever you know, uh, and then you know those people aren't entirely wrong either. They they paid for some really quality hardware, so uh, you know there is that to be said. Well, Jeremy, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Do you have any any closing thoughts, a parting uh, shot across the bow uh, that you want to leave us with? <laughs> um. Or is there something else we want to you want to talk about that that we've been babbling and haven't given you a chance to? No, I mean, kind of just the uh, you know, like I mentioned about just how our uh, our virtual desktop stuff kind of gives me that backup uh, for being able to switch over to Linux desktops. Uh, then, I mean, I I don't know. So you know, trying to think ahead whenever I was trying to plan all this out. Uh, but here's that was. Our, Here's my issue with that, and, and, and you can you can talk me down off the ledge here. I don't I don't, I don't understand solutions where uh, well you know Citrix or or you know virtual V bridges virtual bridges whatever it is that you're talking about there there uh, um, VMware's got their uh, virtual client that, that they're working on. Everybody has some virtual client here where you you buy the client and then you buy a Windows license anyway. But like with ours, it's a uh, it's a VECD license, and uh, I think it runs like twenty dollars per connected device. So it it ends up being, I guess, cheaper than than buying an outright full blown license. Yeah. Well, is that um, per potential uh, connected device, or is that per actual connect? Because I know a lot of Microsoft stuff is if a machine might accidentally bump into this one, you got to buy a license for it. As I understood it when I read their documentation, and as as some people had tried to explain it to me, it's it's licensed per device that you are going to connect to it. Right. Um, so, as I understand that, if I had 200 devices I was going to use to connect to our virtual desktops, and the rest of them weren't, I'm only buying 200 VECD licenses. Okay, so tell me, uh, again, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot about your particular product, but it seems representative of other products I've seen. Uh, Once you buy the client license for what you do and then buy the Windows license, uh, what's the difference from buying... A Windows license, you know, couldn't you just put Windows on that desktop and put a, a free Linux VM on it, or using uh, VirtualBox? I mean, what, what's the what's the advantage? If you're already paying the same amount of money and you already have both Linux and Windows, what's the advantage? All right. Well, I'm like with ours, we're able to set up various different images, um, and I can provision those to whoever. Um, so if I have, you know, if I have a, I don't know, a, a student that's in high school, and then they're also doing some of the continuing education with uh, with uh, uh, Western Texas College, and then there's also uh, you know some other image I want to give them. I can provision all three of those images, and when they log in, they can choose which one. Um, they can they can connect from home to do the same thing. If they're like my laptop has the uh, Intel VT uh, virtualization technology in the processor, I can 
I can put that image on my laptop and take it, <clears throat> and I'm still managing that image from a central uh, management console. Well, and it's web-based now, so uh, I can manage it from anywhere, but, but I'm still able to manage those images uh, from from within the system. Uh, so, I mean, I can... And, like I say, I can provision a different image to a user. Uh, we have some XP, and like one part of their demo, they show XP, and then they show Windows 7. They show doing an upgrade for a user. You, They shut down, you take them out of the Windows XP group, you add them to the Windows 7, they boot up, and they're Windows 7 now. Um, and, any, you know, I can put anybody in that Windows 7 group, and they can run the Windows 7 image. If they don't like it, I can put them back in the Windows XP image, they can run that image. Uh, so it, it feels like I have a lot of flexibility on on what I give the users. <clears throat> All right. Uh, just that's, a, that's an area I need to look more into, and maybe I'll be picking your brain about that sort of off-air later. Um, <clears throat> but there is one thing that you get there, and that's, you know, flexibility. And one of the things that we complain about most from both Windows and from Mac is the lack of flexibility. Uh, is the, you know, uh, being the geek, I don't like my machine to tell me what to do, right? I, Isaac Asimov said that the robot's supposed to do what I tell it to. And I believe that, you know, and the machine's supposed to do things my way. Uh, in the, in the Mac world, uh, the machine tells you what to do and you say, yes, sir. And, uh, and you genuflect while you do it. But anyway, that's more Mac bashing. Um, again, I, I, I thank you for your time, Jeremy. You've, uh, your insights are always valuable. And, uh, and, um, if you have, uh, uh, no further comments, I guess we'll just say goodbye and let you go on about your day. Oh, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate Th- it. Thanks for coming on, Jeremy. All right. We appreciate thanks. it, man. All right. Well, we, uh, we thank Jeremy for his time again and, uh, and we'll, uh, leave you, I guess, with, with just those things to ponder. Um, I don't know that we answered any questions. I don't know that we asked the right questions. Uh, we just, um, it's something that's been on our minds, uh, as, as open source advocates, as Linux advocates. Um, you know, there's a little soul searching you have to do every now and then, and, and we just thought we would, uh, share that with you. Um, so this is, this is a time when we want you, um, to feedback, to talk to us, to let us know, and uh, right and, there, there's got to be somebody out there. I think we were maybe expecting a little bit more of that out of Jeremy, yeah. but there's got to be somebody out there that's going to be, you know, a little further on the on the left. There, they're going to really uh, disagree with what we had to say there. Yeah, he wasn't bandana guy enough for me. He was too reasonable. I, we need somebody unreasonable. Right, right. So get on there and disagree <laughs> with us because uh, one, we may we may end up revisiting it, and if yeah. we can get somebody who can really. Uh, uh, you know, back up that argument, then that'd be great. I mean, we, we'd love to hear it anyways, right? I mean, we'd love for right. the compelling reason to, to do it, but. And uh, so on that note, let's take a minute and let's talk about some listener feedback. And I'll begin, uh, you know, um, every time Sean says something inflammatory, we make sure everybody knows his email address. It's right. Sean at thetaiwadtech.com. Um, I'm Mark at thetaiwadtech.com. And if you want to reach us both, that's podcast at thetaiwadtech.com. So we, we, uh, we encourage your feedback and and i wanted to read some feedback that we got recently after our fog episode uh fog is really popular and and uh, we knew that a lot of people uh, or we hoped that a lot of people would be tuning in to hear that episode and and i and guys if you're out there uh, 
if you tuned in to for that because you saw uh, Chuck and Jim tweet about being on here uh, or uh, or whatever, then uh, we hope you stick around. We hope that uh, there was enough content, enough things to be interesting uh, that you want to stick around. But uh, just wanted to to read some of the comments that were posted uh, on that uh, blog episode uh, because, you know, these guys took the time out of their day to respond to us, so we're going to give them some props about that. Uh, we heard uh, from a fellow by the name of Ray Herring. Um, he says he's been using fog since February uh, this year at a primary school in uh, southwest of Western Australia. So uh, our our reach has has now gone uh, down to the great land of Oz, and uh, and so Ray had uh, great things to say about fog. Uh, I'm not going to re- uh, read all of it, but uh, he says he managed to do an image of uh, one library uh, with 30 new computers and get the AD integration set up and deploy that image to all 30 computers um, and uh, and then he decided um, to do a, uh, uh, he did the whole thing in about 10 minutes um, I'm reading I'm glossing over his yeah and this is he says here. there that it, this is something that used to take him nine hours to do right. so um, and he, he says, we've got some complaints here. The part that gets a bit repetitious with fog is that I have to remove all the user profiles from the sheet machine, run defag, re- remove it from the domain, and then Windows says it needs to reboot because of the change, and fog task fires up and uploads the image. Uh, well, look at the uh, fog prep tool that uh, was just put out in this new version. I think it does a lot of that stuff for you, Ray. Um, um, I, I do want to jump in there, though, because I, I was thinking that what he was saying there uh, wasn't really necessary. I mean, do you do you really need to do that? I don't. I don't. Right. I'm not going to say I'm right. I'm going to say I don't defrag ever. Um, defragging is a is a uh, is a days gone by in my opinion. Um, particularly if you're reimaging your fogs uh, fog machines regularly. If you're reimaging them regularly, uh, they don't have time to get all that fragmented. Your image is fresh and new, and you throw it out there. Your file system is good. It may get a little fragmented throughout the year, but then you reimage it, and it's not. Fragmented. Well, and, and what I was thinking and what he's doing is he's imaging, then taking that used image and kind of refreshing it and then using that as his new image. And, it, it, and maybe that's a wrong assumption, but it seemed like the wrong way to be going about it. Um, you know, what we will do is we'll... I'll develop an image. We'll use that image throughout the year. And then like I'm doing right now, since we're heading into summer is I'll take that image from last year. That it's a good, clean image that has not been used by anybody. Exactly. And then I'll refresh that. So defragging is just uh, right. not that, necessary. You always start with a fresh image. So you take your, your current image, you dump last year's image on it, and then you just make whatever changes you need to make. So as far as that computer is concerned, it's a day old. It, the day you made it and today. Right. So it's two days old. And then the next year, you dump that down again and you make whatever changes. It's now three days old. Right. Um, and so it's not, it's not going to get terribly fragmented. You don't really need to do that sort of stuff. Well, and that, that's what I wanted to make a point to tell Ray out there if you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> is uh you know if if i'm assuming correctly then uh, yeah you're kind of going about it a little bit wrong is uh take a fresh windows installation upload that to your fog server and use that forever w- without anybody having ever touched it next year pull that image down onto a machine that you you want to uh, work with uh update that image you know all of your software and everything else and then uh take that re-upload it to fog and now you've got a new fresh image that has never been touched by a human being at least not anybody other than you so uh 
Yeah, we take a new machine fresh out of the box and we spend about three or four hours with it the first time. Right. And then we just do 10, 20 minute touches after that. You know, we, uh, we're doing that right now. We're, uh, Sean's been working on that today. We'll take last year's image. We'll deploy it on uh, a little Frankenstein machine we call Frankie. Right. Frankie is, is, uh, our experiment, our test subject. And so we, we dump it down onto Frankie and we let Windows update go. And there's 7,000 updates since last year. Right. And it goes out and picks them all up. And then, uh, there's a new version of open office. So we put that on there there's a new version of firefox we put that on there uh whatever we need to do and then that we upload that and that's our fresh new image and then we're ready to to blast it out right and you know uh here at our district i don't know i'm gonna guess we have maybe uh oh 10 different hardware sets let's say overall and uh so i'm gonna grab one of those each now frankie covers the the vast majority of of our computers but even then i'm gonna grab one of those hardwares and i'm gonna uh put a fresh image on it and then i'm gonna update that image then i'm gonna push that image back up to fog and then uh and then i can go about uh you know imaging the rest of that hardware set and uh knowing that i'm dealing with a clean image that it has never been, you know, out there in the wild. All right. So moving on, the the next comment was uh, from a fellow named Aviad A V I A D. He calls himself Hot for Tech, so that's what we'll call him, Hot for Tech. Uh, says he uh, just listened to the podcast. Great to hear about the new additions to Fog. Big man love from Israel. So uh, Chuck and Jim, there's another uh, bearded fat man out there who loves you as much as I do. Um, I'm just uh, making the assumption there, hot for tech. Uh, maybe you're svelte and, and the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know, but it's funnier my way. Um, he also says he recommends that maybe we should put a PayPal button on our Taiwan tech website. So I leave that to you people. If we put that out there, would you use it? It's okay to say no. Just let us know, because uh, uh, you know if you wanna if you wanna give us money, dang, we'll take it. Well, yeah. Let let me throw this out there for our listening public. Uh, uh, Mark's really been the one out of pocket on our on our uh, uh, our gear, and uh, not not a lot. We are the the tightwad after cheap. all. I'm the cheapest man in the world, right? So it has been absolutely cheap. But uh, by all means, if uh, if that does come to fruition, it's just going to go back to uh, uh, to equipment for the podcast. So. And on that note, I've got a new digital mixer board that's on back order, and I'm just jonesing because they told me that today was going to be the day and then i got a an email saying oh it's still back ordered and it'll be another week so uh but when it comes in i'm, I'm thinking i'm expecting cool really super geeky things uh to happen there and then you'll probably never notice a difference it'll sound exactly the same to you but it'll right. make me feel better well and it'll, it'll make your job easier you're the guy who does all the post-production so uh that'll make your job easier and uh another uh aussie it looks like uh shane um uh i love this comment he said we bought ghosts and never got it to work over the network two days with fog and it was working a treat i just did my first batch of windows 7 images today and although the new sys prep is a pain to learn fog was a champion this is a classic example of why open source software is just so much better to the develop and to the developers thank you the guys behind the tightwad like the show and we'll be tuning back in next week so uh sorry about that there wasn't one last week but this week uh we hope to have you covered uh uh, with our combination of listener feedback and Linux on the desktop. 
Right, and uh, uh, I don't know if we had already mentioned this or not, but uh, last week was the last week of school for us, and we were fully expecting to record something last week. And yeah, it just did not happen. No, you know, it amazes me because uh, it's, it's the end of the school year, and I'm thinking all that teachers can think about is, you know, getting out of here, and uh, I... I it was one of the busiest weeks of the year for me. I mean, they were they were calling, you know, always frantic about one thing or another. And, of course, it, it was all an emergency, and uh, the week got away from me. And you Australians out there, yeah. you're on your winter break right now, I guess. Uh, you'll be enjoying your summer break while we're uh, celebrating Christmas over here. So uh, uh, stay warm out there. We're... We're melting. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, just uh, uh, along those lines, uh, we're going to make every effort to be at least bi-weekly uh, throughout the summer. We'll try to be weekly if we can, but uh, if we let a few slip, you'll know why. It's just our busy time. The way I put it uh, is uh, the summer is when I have 10 weeks to repair what 700 people spent 10 months breaking. So it's a busy time for us. And then the one last comment on the uh, the, the website uh Steve uh Steve is from uh rfdswa.com another Australian looks like look like we got Aussies all over the place uh um he says uh we're using land desk currently uh but we are currently looking at uh, options fog ticks all the boxes for remote deployment but what are you using for remote management um we got another email uh that asks a similar question uh Sean right. I'll let you read that email and lead us into that uh well which one from Bjorn oh, yes, Berent Okay, uh, yeah, so Bjorn, uh, starts off with saying, uh, you know, I got hooked on your podcast during the fog episode. I listened to your episode one and listened to your tech tip where you were working on managing network printers. I thought I would share the solution I use, which was, uh, www.scriptstart.com. Uh, I just took a brief look at that site and it, uh, it's a user profile management tool, really, and, uh, I, I I want to look at it a little bit deeper because, uh, you know, roaming essentially kind of looks like it's a roaming profile manager to some degree, although it says it doesn't uh, use actual Windows roaming profiles. So uh, that was uh, interesting. I want to look into it more and see. Uh, apparently he's using it for printer management, which uh, the website does say that it does. Uh, so uh, he started off with that, and then he goes on to mention uh, towards the end of his email uh, about uh, a couple of other things that he likes to use and he mentioned uh italc i can't believe we managed to get this far into our podcasting uh arena and not mentioned italc italc is something we use all day every day uh, i feel that we've been bad boys for not mentioning it in right and, and thank you bjorn for uh you know bringing this up because even though you didn't realize it it is a glaring omission on our part yeah. uh, we're huge users of italc it's installed across our districts so. in fact when i do presentations uh there are two tools that i talk about most of the time that's fog and italc and i usually talk about them in concert because between the two of them that is our complete uh, remote management solution uh italc does the uh, image deployment and software deployment and all that good stuff, uh, or excuse me, Fog does all that, and uh, Italc does everything else. Uh, Italc is, uh, um, if you've used VNC uh, or uh, PC Anywhere or any of those sort of tools like that, uh, uh, Italc is built on uh, around the VNC client, so you get uh, it 
you got full uh, desktop access. Uh, you move the mouse uh, on your desk, and the cursor moves on the remote uh, desk, and it's it, it's as if you're sitting there. Uh, you can uh, remotely view what's going on. Um, what makes Italc different? Uh, Italc I T A L C stands for Intelligent Teaching and Learning with Computers, uh, and and uh, what makes it special is it's set up specifically to be used in a classroom environment. You have uh, uh, a nice uh, interface. Let me. I've got it open right here on my computer. You've got your classrooms down to one side, so you load up a particular classroom, and then you see thumbnail views of all the computers in that classroom, and you can, um, with one button, you can remotely log on to all of them. You can uh, uh, send them all a quick uh, text message. You can uh, lock them. That's my favorite thing. Right. I, I call that the May I Have Your Attention Please button. You click that and all they get is a little padlock on their screen and their mouse doesn't work and their keyboard doesn't work and the only way out of it is to restart the machine. Um, uh, and you can... Uh, uh, it's just it's a really uh, uh, full featured tool and it's open source and it's free and uh, it really works well on XP. Now, let's be honest, it doesn't work very well at all on Vista or 7. And uh, and it's well, sort of... That's, that's a little bit. I mean, we have managed to get it to work on those, but it, it's very buggy. It crashes quite a bit. Right. Uh, it's It's got issues, and I'm hoping that the, the developers are going to uh, uh, continue developing on that. It seems to be somewhat stagnant at this point. Um, uh, anyway, it just it is what it is. Italc, if you're running an XP environment, it actually works uh, also on the Mac and on the Linux side. Uh, you don't get quite all the same goodies um, uh, that you do on the Linux side, but I have personally used it uh, cross-platform between Linux and, and uh, Windows. I, I've controlled a Windows lab for my Linux desktop and, and, and vice versa, and I've seen it used on Macs, uh, though I... As I've frequently stated here on this podcast, don't have much personal experience with the Macs. Well, and uh, one thing with well, a couple of things to mention about Italc One is that it's free, uh, so that's that's a beautiful thing. Uh, another one is just the fact that it's one of those few t- few tools that the teachers really latched onto uh, from the very beginning. Uh, you know, uh, for those of you out there that don't know, you know, we opened a new high school last year, and uh, the high school has a computer in every desk and the teachers were uh, really worried about how they were going to manage that environment and uh, the summer leading up to that we uh, we had installed italc and we gave them some training on it and showed them it and uh, you know we've heard nothing but good things from the teachers so that that's quite an endorsement because we don't often get that adoption yeah a direct quote from one of our teachers to the principal at the time was it's changed the way i teach and uh, so often when people talk about about changing uh, when teachers talk about changing the way they teach they do so in a negative fashion i can't teach the way i want to or whatever right. she was excited she tack- practically tackled this man in the hallway uh the first couple of weeks after we uh opened this new building and said this has changed the way i teach and she was excited about teaching this is a um <laughs> a multi-year veteran i'm not going to say how long she's been teaching but for right. she's been teaching a long time and and this this new access to technology but specifically the one that she would point out more than anything else is italc as as having rejuvenated her um teaching spark um 
she's an English teacher and she'll have the kids, uh, writing, um, you know, whatever. And she will use iTalk and just sort of, uh, uh, look over their shoulder remotely and send them a little message in Spark. It says, you know, you might, or in uh, iTalk, I mean, that says something like, you know, you may want to look at the third sentence in that fourth paragraph. Um, uh, and, and it's very quiet. She can correct them, uh, privately without embarrassing them. She doesn't have to, uh, Turn her back on ninety percent of the class to deal with with the one or two kids. She can do it all from her desk and and be looking at everybody. Right. And um, and the kids know they can't get away with anything because the teacher has this great thumbnail view of everything that goes on. And uh, uh, one of one of our teachers that uh, <laughs> he's kind of sadistic, but if he sees a kid doing something like uh, you know I don't know uh, on uh, a, a website like MySpace or whatever that he's not supposed to be doing, uh, just during during the course of his lecture while he's doing what he's doing, he reaches over, right clicks, and shuts down, and their computer just turns off, and he doesn't uh, doesn't say anything and just keeps going. And um, the thick ones he may have to do that two or three times, but the the smart ones figure out pretty quickly that uh, oh yeah. Uh, that's him doing that, and uh, right, or, or you know, you always had that uh, that teacher when you were in school that liked to call you out in front of the class when you were doing something you're you're not supposed to. And so I've heard similar stories where a uh, teacher will have the projector up, and uh, it, you know, again, all of our classrooms have a projector, and uh, that teacher can you know just randomly click on a student and all of a sudden their desktop is up there in front of the classroom so again if they're doing something that they're not supposed to he can uh, he can call them out you know so it depends on your teaching style yeah. how you want to address things but uh, iTalk gives you that flexibility uh, another of the neat features is uh, broadcast ability multicast ability a, a teacher can take uh, what's on their screen and multicast it to all the other screens or can take one of the student screens and multicast it to everybody else's so if the student is doing something Thing, uh, the teacher can uh, uh, take that student and make them the demo, and they can uh, demonstrate it. And so we have one teacher who is uh, just a media fanatic, and she will have um, a PowerPoint uh, of, up on her computer broadcasting it to her kids. Uh, she'll have her projector showing something else, and then she actually has a second projector that we she made us put in there. So right. she'll have like her graphing calculator showing an equation up there. She'll be working it on the other projector while her PowerPoint is being projected to all this. So she's using three different media sources all at once. Um, that's that's sort of an extreme example. But, again, that's the utility of, of uh, iTalk. It lets you uh, take one and distribute it to many, uh, or it lets one watch over many. It's a, it's a great tool. Uh, I'm hoping uh, that it's going to be updated uh, for Windows Vista and Windows 7. Uh, in fact, I am prepared to put a bounty out there to see that it happens. So if anybody out there is a coder and wants to contact me about that, I'm, I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. Uh, as as we are dragged into um, the world of Windows 7, um, as, as all schools will be in the near future, uh, I want to take my tools with me. And right now it doesn't work, um, so uh, I'm willing to put some money toward fixing it. If you're a coder out there or if you want to band with me and uh, and help me with that bounty, you know, let's put together $10,000 to pay somebody to make this awesome. Uh, you know, how cool would that be? And that's probably less than you're going to pay for a commercial utility anyway. Right, and that that uh, also just furthers the, the, the grand community, the open source community. So if we can get that one fix applied and if we can band together and make that happen, then uh, it's just going to benefit a lot of people out there. So definitely a, a worthy cause.
Uh, any other email, Sean, that we need to look at? Uh, well, I uh, got one from Joshua Whitaker, and, uh, you know, he was talking uh, in response to our win audit. Uh, I think that was tech tip of the week. And uh, he mentions open audit as a great uh, tool uh, to that end. It's open hyphen audit dot org. And that so. looks like it's a Linux only utility. Uh, just a quick uh, cursory glance over the, the screen. Uh, I don't see uh, a Windows version of that. Um, no, right, I stand he- correct. There it is right there. Windows standalone audit script uh, coming soon. Okay. So the Windows version isn't ready yet. Right. And that coming soon might have been put up there two years ago. So. <laughs> well, that's uh. sort of the way open source sometimes goes. <laughs> right. He does mention that it runs in Ubuntu, so uh, he doesn't make any claims. Uh, that it's cross-platform. So I recommended WinAudit uh, for your Windows uh, machines, and if you've got Macs out there or uh, Linux machines out there, OpenAudit is uh, the solution there. Thank you, uh, Joshua Whitaker, for that. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And so uh, if you... Um Want to be famous or at least known among our 15 or so listeners, um, feel free to email us. Um, uh, oh, wait, here's another email that I don't want to ignore from John Sengia, S-E-N-G-I-A. And um, he wants us to look at doing something on the flip video cameras. And, uh, John, yes. we couldn't agree more. Uh, those things are awesome little utilities. Uh, in fact, I keep one on my desk. Uh, most of the time, uh, our middle school kids in particular like them. They're, uh, if, for those of you who aren't familiar with them, uh, just Google flip video cameras. They're cheap. They're, they're high quality. Uh, and it's rare that those two things intersect. Uh, but they're, it's this great little utility that, that, uh, you can carry with you and, and, uh, uh record high def, uh, video at any point. You pop it into your machine. It's got a one button click, uh, upload to YouTube or, uh, it's, uh, stored as, uh, as an MPEG file. Sean, I think um, I don't remember, but it's just yeah. I, I don't recall exactly. You plug it into I your computer. Say it was maybe even WMVs, but maybe you plug uh, it into your computer. It shows up as a uh, as a external drive, like a pen drive would, like a USB stick, and you just drag your videos off of there. None of this uh, futzing around with importing into something. It's just there. Great little tools. And uh, yes, John, we will look at uh, doing something more in depth on that. But for now, you have been mentioned as as your uh, awesome utility. All right. Uh, I think that uh, pretty well wraps us up this week, doesn't it, Mark? I think we got everything. Yeah, we had a you know a tip of the week uh, uh, picked out there for the teacher and the tech, but heck, we just gave you a bunch from our listeners. Uh, we don't want right. to shoot our whole load in one shot. You know, these people came up and said, uh, "Here's a good tip," and we just used them all in one one show. So we're going to be stingy and, and keep the others. Well, and I, I think uh, well, one thing you do a great job of getting all that information posted. So uh, check out our site and. Uh, uh, We'll get all those links out there um, and uh, take a look at them. And, you know, again, give us some feedback and uh, maybe give us some more tips. And as we accumulate those, we can we can do this again. Yeah, and uh, I guess that's uh, that's it for now. Uh, we uh, This has been an unconventional sort of episode, but then again, we say that I think pretty much every episode that this episode has been unusual. Well, and this one so, really has been unusual, yeah. and uh, I I had uh, tweeted about the, the interruptions, and uh, so I challenged the listeners out there to try and figure out. We had two of them that we had to absolutely stop yeah, recording we, and pick back up. Yeah, so. that's uh, summer is a busy time around here, around most schools, I'm sure. Uh, it's funny. 
funny. I've been doing this now for almost 15 years, and every year somebody asks me, what do you do up there all summer? Well, let me tell you, I'm running running around crazy uh, the whole time, and people are in and out, phones ringing, the uh, people are knocking on the door. So uh, two separate times we've had to completely stop what we're doing, three actually, yeah. had to completely stop what we're doing and start over again. So uh, this will be a test of my editing skills and of your listening skills. Let's see if you can find where they are. And I'm sorry this week I didn't get a, a Princess Bride reference in, but I'll try, I'll try to work harder next time. <laughs> yeah, the streak has ended. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And uh, please, for more feedback. We were so excited to uh, to hear from you people uh, out there. Um, we kind of expected uh, to get a little bit of a fog bounce because fog is already an established product, and uh, and they were uh, tweeting about being on here, and, and we got that. Our, our traffic went way up. Our listenership, I hope, has gone up. Right. We hope that if you came here listening for fog, that uh, you will uh, stick around for the good comment content. And uh, and again, please, please, please uh, leave feedback. Uh, our email addresses, our our uh, um, uh, blog posts, or or whatever. Uh, this is your show, and uh, you need to tell us uh, how we're doing and what we need to do next. Yeah, uh, I, I saw we had a huge boost uh, from Australia in listenership, and so there must be a lot of fog users down there. And uh, I want to throw out to the, all the Aussies, uh, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. So <laughs> <laughs> they, they'll understand okay. that. Okay, yeah. you're supposed to be drinking a beer while you do that. Yeah, yeah, Fosters, <laughs> the little one, you know, the 44 ounce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, and, uh, so thank you, uh, uh, as always, for joining in. And uh, So for now, this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. <laughs>